Well then, people of God, let us gather then, as we have come together to worship our Lord, to worship the living God, to remember God's greatness, His kindness, and His power, and to worship with others here in the body of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Hear the word of the Lord as we gather here. From Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 7 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me here, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God. Why? For he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have, uh, you have called us together to worship. And so it is, that is what we do, not out of, simply out of duty, although it is our duty, but out of the joy and delight and glory of being able to come into your presence with your people. And you promise to be here with us. And so, Lord, uh, we cling to that promise. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that you might be honored and glorified in all that we say and do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me then. Oh, no, it's uh, the choir. Choir sings. Okay. Transform us into the image of our dear beloved Savior, all for the sake of your glory and praise. And so, Lord, as we worship, we pray as you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now, Christian, as we confess what it is that we believe as a body, this, uh, we'll do this via the Apostles' Creed. So, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, my Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. pardon that we have, which we have to have when we come before the Lord, as we face him in his holiness and realize, woe is me, for I am a sinner and a people of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. And yet we have assurance of pardon. The pardon I'm going to read is actually from the same text. Is it called worship? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So let us remain standing as we sing the hymn, Jesus, the very thought of thee, hymn number 645.
seated. I see you've got this. You don't actually have to pay attention to anything I'm saying up here. I believe now is chance for the children's sermon. So, if the children would come forward over here, right? All right. And I'm, I'm told, be careful about the questions I ask. Okay. two words that I want to ask you about. Two words that you might know, but I'm not sure. So the two words are meditate and, and guard. So the first one I'm going to ask about is guard. Okay. How many of you have ever, this is a question, I'm going to get in trouble. How many of you ever sharpened a knife or seen someone sharpen a knife? Uh-huh. What do they do? What's the, what's the action that they do when they sharpen a knife? They guard their thumb. You're, jumping, see, you're, you're, well, then you're already jumping forward to guard. Okay, unfair. Okay, so we're not there yet. But when when they when they sharpen the knife, what motion? Then now, now maybe a spinning thing. But if it's just not, there you go. They do this, right? Okay. And and, and this is this is really when when the Bible talks about meditating, it's talking about rubbing like rubbing a knife over and over and over again on a block. So when you're thinking on the things that the Lord has to say, what's important to God, what He loves, how He loves, the people, the things that He loves, when you're thinking about those things, what's right, what's wrong, it's a lot like rubbing a knife over a, a honing stone. It just it, it sharpens and carves away those little bits of people, little bits of, of metal and things that aren't sharp. All right. It's also a little bit like, how many of you have ever had a hamster or a, a gerbil? Or a critter that runs on a mouse that runs on a wheel. Ever seen those? Maybe if you've never had one. Have you ever seen a mouse? Zzz, and they're just running away inside the little um, inside the little cage, right? Okay. Now, some would say that's kind of meditating. Just run and run and run. Better illustration of that though is I had a cat. And I had a cat that would sit right on top of this cage of a of a hamster that we had. Okay? And that poor hamster was running for his life the whole time. Just run. Not go anywhere. And the cat was like this. And folk, of course, eventually the mouse ran, went, tragically ran himself to death. But, that's the dark side of the story. But, the cat, what was the cat doing? Oh, the cat was meditating. Okay? That cat was focused. And he knew what he, she knew what she wanted, and she was going to watch that until she got it. And so when it comes to God's word, we meditate on God's word. We know what we want. Oh, to be like Jesus. So what do we do? We meditate. We run it. We spin it over and over and over and over again in our minds. We stare at it. We focus on it. Because that's what we're going to become. That which we look most like. All right, the other word is guard. To guard something. You've seen guards in movies. You've seen guards in front of places, right? Okay. Where do they usually stand? When a guard stands somewhere, where do they stand? Yeah. At the gate, right? Right in front of the gate, right? They're standing like this. Okay. All right, so when Jesus says, when Paul tells us that his Holy Spirit is going to guard our hearts and our minds, you know what is actually better than that? Because the guard that is pictured there is not standing, just simply standing in front of the gate, because if you're standing in front of the gate and somebody goes, and runs around behind you, you don't see him, do you? 
No, no. The guard that Jesus is talking about is like the guard that stands around a whole city or a whole house, and there's a whole bunch of guards, and they all stand in a big circle, and no one can get past it. No one can sneak in and sneak up on you and take advantage of you. And so the promise is that if you're meditating on his word, on things that are right and true and honorable and pure and good, all those wonderful things that God loves, if you're meditating, think on those things, then what is he going to do? He's going to guard you. He's going to guard your hearts. He's going to guard your minds. He's going to protect you from all the other junk that, would, that can get in and get into your heart and get into your minds and make you sad, depressed, make you angry, all those things. So our, our job is to meditate, keep thinking over and over and over and over again on the, on the promises of God. And if, he does, if you do that, he promises to guard your heart and stand like a garden, like a big circle around your heart and protect it. All right? Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, you love your covenant children more than we do. And so, Lord, when we commit them to you, oh, how gladly, how gladly you take them in your arms. How gladly you stand guard around their hearts. And so, Lord, we do. We want to disciple our children. We want to, uh, to place them before you. Place them in your hands without fear. So, Lord, help these children here to love you, to know you, to meditate on you, and, uh, and be confident that you're guarding them every step of the way. For the sake of our dear Savior. Amen. Thanks, guys. <coughs>
be seated. Now let us together gather. Please pray with me as we go before the Lord. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and power. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. So, Father, we do. We come and we, we adore you. We praise you. We honor you. And we look forward to that day when we will gather with the elders and fall down before you, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they worship you, Lord, simply because you created all things and in all things have their being. Not because you saved them, just because you're the creator. If you had done nothing for us, Lord, you would deserve our our praise and our worship. But Lord, we are a people who, by your grace and mercy, have been saved. You have done all the work. You have reconciled us to yourself. And so we add praise upon praise and worship upon worship and thanks upon thanks because you are not only our creator, but you are our savior. And yet in the light of that, I confess, Lord, that with the pressures of the day and the immediacy of life that sits before our eyes and at our fingers, We don't either believe it somehow or practice it. We meditate on injustice, on things that we're afraid of or angry about. We confess that we effectively curse those around us all while we're saying we're praising you and how we need to be reminded over and over again that it was and is your steadfast love, your pursuing faithful mercy and your kindness that saved us. And the miracle it would take to save your enemies and our enemies all around us is no greater a miracle than it took to save us. You, us who were your sworn enemies, forgive us, Lord, for our lack of love, for our lack of love for each other and for lack of love for those around us. But Lord, we want to thank you Thank you for your Holy Spirit that so much better than even having Christ here on earth is having your Holy Spirit who is in us and with us and around us goes before us. We're constantly in your presence because of it. And there's nowhere we can go without you there. What a wonderful thought. And yet at the same time, what a horrible and scary thought. It was too much for David. So often we don't think about it. Lord, you are there. 
You're not hovering over us, Lord, as, a, as one who wants to keep smacking us in, in our heads and jerking us around and yanking our leash. But Lord, you're there to care for us, to, to purify us, to transform us because you love us. You love us tenderly. And you provide for us in big and small ways. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, use us, Lord. Meet us as you promised to do. Perfect us until that day of salvation. As you promised to do. Encourage us and carry us along as you promised to do. Give us wings like eagles as you promised to do. We pray that you would answer and fulfill your promises in our lives. So perfect us and transform us into the image of our dear and precious Savior, Jesus Christ. For his glory and your praise. Amen. The oh, the choir's dismissed. We're going to sing.
I do love that that song from Keith and Melody Green. I think that was first came out in the early 1980s, if I'm not mistaken. Came out in big LPs, and Keith Green with his big hippie hair, and uh, no one trusted him, but uh, he was uh, he had some wonderful, wonderful songs. Um, the <clears throat> the text this morning is from Philippians. Uh, it says here, Philippians 4.29. Uh, I don't want to discourage you all. It's actually 4, 2 through 9. Um, and so uh, it's a few more verses than just verse 29. Um, so I'll be reading uh, from the English Standard Version. I believe that's what you all have, uh, starting in verse 2. This is the word of the Lord. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. The to let you know where I'm going with this, there, there's so much that could be covered in this text. You could, you know, books have been written over each of these verses in many ways, and so um, really, I'm going to be talking about two major commands. The two commands are, and I want to make sure. Sorry, are we on? Can you hear me through that through the mic? I'm, so, I'm sorry. The scripture reading did not get recorded. Okay. Would you like me to reread it for the? Do I need to reread it for the? Uh, for the recording? Okay. Okay. The um, the text this morning. The, the main two thoughts are uh, the, where I'm going with this is the two commands are rejoice always, and do not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Okay. So the two commands is are. Rejoice always and do not be anxious. I love Disney's rendition of Winnie the Pooh. Um, I love the books even more. If you've ever read A.A. Milne at all, who's the author of Winnie the Pooh, I don't know where the man has come up with these ideas, but he's he's a genius, okay? And just the tenderest, sweetest text that he can write, uh, in, uh, putting into the voice of, his, the, of Christopher Robin's stuffed animals. And, uh, and so we have, we have Christopher Robin, and, and, and he has the, the House on Pooh Corner, and, and Winnie the Pooh, and then there's Thoughts of A.A. Milne, there's a bunch of, of different texts. But um, he has, uh, there's this scene in which Christopher Robin and Pooh and Eeyore have three completely different personalities. Uh, Christopher, who's a rather upbeat picture of sanity in the group. And Pooh, who's generally optimistic, but you know, gets discouraged, you know, with no oh, bother, right? You know, and um, and but he never really gets completely discouraged. 
He's never really completely shut down. As of then, of course, you of course you'll have you have Eeyore, who always manages to see the the negative side of things. And there's there's this wonderful uh, in in the book Winnie the, Winnie the Pooh. Um, they've approached, I believe it's Pooh, has, has approached uh, Eeyore, and he says, "Good morning, you know, good morning, Eeyore." Right? And and Pooh and, and Eeyore says, "Good morning." If it is a good morning, which I doubt, and then they visited Christopher Robin's house, and Eeyore come calling to Christopher Robin, and asked him how he's doing, and Eeyore says, "Well, it's snowing still." Christopher Robin replies, "So it is, and freezing, is it?" "Yep," said Eeyore. However, he said, brightening up a little bit. We haven't had an earthquake lately. <laughs> Some of us are this way, aren't we? Some of us are kind of a glass half empty. Sometimes we're almost like, or a glass 99% empty, or 1% empty. But that's the, the lens through which we may, we may be yours. And it is, and Paul, I don't know what Paul's personality was. I'm sure he went through a whole range of things. But... But I don't know what's happened in your week. I don't know about your circumstances. I don't know about the troubles that are weighing you down that are very real. C.S. Lewis writes that joy is the serious business of heaven. And the epistle of joy, perhaps, is the Philippians, which joy is mentioned over 16 times. And so it is in many ways the serious business of Paul. And here we now are confronting this text this morning. And like I said, I don't know what troubles are weighing you down. I don't know your trials and your tribulations, things that have happened even just this last week that you wish had not happened, or things that didn't happen that you wish had. Whether it was this week, this month, or this whole year. And then I come along in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever struggles you have, and I say, rejoice, don't be anxious. Well, those are, those are Paul's words. Those are actually, they're God's words. I, I certainly can't expect, as I said, to know your circumstances, but Paul, Paul's in prison. I mean, Paul, Paul he might be at his end. He's, he's in, a, in appalling circumstances. See, he, he may not leave this prison. He doesn't know. Now we know, looking back, that he's, this is his first imprisonment. He's going to be set free. And then, then he's going to come back. And then he's going to face his death. Right here, right now, he's in a terrible situation. He's in prison. And it's not like cots and mattresses and heating and it. He's got he's got metal bands around his legs to chafe, an uncomfortable bed. He's surrounded by guards. Probably hungry and cold. Or hungry and hot. And he sends a prayer back to his beloved church in Philippi. And he says, not Please help me get out of this miserable place. Please help me get comfortable. Please, all those things. 
He doesn't pray for those things. He has one focus in mind. And that's for his that's for his beloved church in Philippi. And his command to them while he's in prison suffering is rejoice. Rejoice always. And don't be anxious. Here we are. You've got these two mirror opposites of each other, right? It's just, and, and, and his joy is, is, is not just rejoice, right? It's rejoice. It's rejoice always. It's, uh, it's not rejoice sometimes. We, we, maybe we could do that if it was rejoice sometimes. Or every once in a while. But he says, no, rejoice always. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we were created for. We were created for joy. We find our, our satisfaction and our peace when we realize joy. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you've experienced this, I'm sure, and particularly as you've gotten older, is that your strength dissipates when you lose your joy. You get weak. You don't have the energy, the excitement of life. Christians should rejoice. It's a command. He expects us. It's imperative. He expects us to do it. Rejoice in the Lord. But see here, he's addressing our, our affections, isn't he? He's addressing our, he wants us, he's, he, he says, think on these things as we ponder and as we assimilate what it is we know. Think on these things and rejoice. And look, we have nuances in person and personality. Some of us, I'm an INTJ for those of you who keep up with those letters. Okay, I'm generally a very logical. Let's not let's not mess this up with emotions. Person. Okay, drives my wife crazy. She wants to mess things up with emotions sometimes. Let's be honest. To be fair to her, it's my daughters who want to do that. So, um, but are you a sanguine person? Are you a deeply serious person? Are you prone to being joyful? Are you prone to being Eeyore? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not, we're not all the same. We're shaped by our genes. We're shaped by our family. We're shaped by our culture. Paul ignores all that. He doesn't pay a bit of attention to any of that. He just says, rejoice. Whatever your personality is. Because you say, well, I'm not a rejoicer by, by personality. Mm-mm. The command is. Rejoice. Rejoice. Always. Always rejoice. Paul and Silas were in a prison in Philippi not that long before. Bound and chained at midnight. And what was he doing? What were they doing there? Again, in abysmal circumstances, not knowing what's going to happen, Paul was singing psalms with his friend Silas. Rejoice always, even in those kinds of circumstances. But, to be fair, Paul, you know Paul didn't always live up to this. You know, he wasn't perfect. You know, he didn't, he didn't rejoice always. You know, he was, he was one who was always asking for prayer for courage, right? Why was he asking for prayer for courage? Well, because, well, he was afraid. Right. So, and Paul, Paul got down. He got depressed. He got sad. He was so thankful for the encouragement 
of people who were sent to him. Paphroditus who was sent to him. He was so thankful. Why was he so thankful? Because he was lonely and he was tired. And to send someone along who would encourage him. So you know, you know Paul didn't do it perfectly. But that doesn't make Paul a hypocrite just because he gives us the command, rejoice always. Because you can turn and look at him and say, well, you don't rejoice always, so I shouldn't have to. No. But you ought to. And I ought to. I had a mother I was in the church that we were, we were uh, serving in Germany and, and she would send her son to me with various questions like, um, uh, is marijuana a sin? Smoking marijuana a sin? And so she, I could see her perched in the far end of the sanctuary, watching as you know he went his way to me and kind of sheepishly asked me this question. And I figured this has got to be a lot more behind this question than just the straight up question of is smoking marijuana a sin? And I said maybe, um, and he was not happy with that answer. So um, we had to talk further. And, and why is it wrong? Should I not date a girl who's not a Christian? I said, well, that's an easy one. He said, well, I'm not going to because I know the Bible tells me not to. Uh, should you know why is it wrong? Why shouldn't I have sex before marriage? You know, and okay, well, we can talk about that too. And uh, so we, we were kind of walking our way through, and she was again, she was perched up back there. She sent him to me. Why? Because she had a wild youth, and she didn't feel like she had the moral authority to tell her son not to do things that she had done. And I had to sit down with her and say, no, no, no doesn't mean that you don't have the right to tell them what ought to be done even if you didn't do it this is not a do as this is not another way of saying do as I say not as I do this is do what is right as I ought to do what is right and so Paul says obey uh, says rejoice and by the way this is not a command to cheer up not suck it up in the moment it's rejoice in the Lord. That's the driving motivation. This is the source of strength for his rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Because you are united with Christ, never to be left or forsaken. You're in a you're in this in a, in a, in a covenant relationship. An unbreakable covenant relationship with God Himself. And He's never going to abandon you. He's promised, it early, and we read it earlier in, in, uh, in Philippians, He who began a good work in you will complete it. What he started in you, he's not going to just kind of go halfway and say, okay, you're, you're more than I expected. And I, I think I'll move on to somebody who's, more, who's going to be more profitable. He's going to do the work. He's going to do his transforming work in you. All the things that the promises that say um, that, that all things work together for good for those to the good, for those who love God and... and, and um, Oh my goodness! For, the, for those who uh, who are his children, I'm gonna stop there because all of a sudden my, I'm unbelievably blanked on that first. Um, but he works all things together to the good for those who love him, even those things that you've gone together through this week, this last week. He's working it together for your good. Paul tells us in chapter 5 of Romans, he says, I glory in tribulation. Why? He's not happy about the tribulation itself, but he's glorying in the midst. This is different from glory to rejoicing in the Lord and glorying in tribulation. 
You're, you're in, if your glory in tribulation is not, the, the focus is not the tribulation. Whereas when you rejoice in the Lord, the focus is the Lord. When you're in the tribulation, you're glorying in the fact that God is using this tribulation for your good. And you're glorying in the fact that he's going through this tribulation because of the effects of it. And that is, going through tribulation, going through suffering, produces, produces patience or endurance. And patience or endurance produces character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The tribulations, the sufferings, the disappointments, the pain, the loss, the heartache, the corralling you, the guiding you. Why does he then tuck there in verse 5? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Because our rejoicing is not an unreasonable, unhinged, head-in-the-sand approach to life. It's not believing that like a Buddhist, the pain isn't real, because it is. Or like a secularist, that pain is meaningless, because it's not. God gives it meaning. He gives it purpose and value. So we rejoice in the midst of our suffering because our suffering is real. It has meaning. And since God uses it for our good in his glory, and because, as he says here in, this, in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. The Lord, the Lord is at hand. Now maybe it's, he's making reference to the second coming, and that's in mind. He'll, he'll bring his everlasting kingdom, so look up. You know, suffering, suffering, suffering makes us all narcissists. It, we can't we can't think about anybody anything or anybody else while we're in pain. Uh, um, uh, Martin Luther refers to sin uh, the effects of sin as as the Latin he uses it incurvatus se, but but that is it, it turns turns it, sin turns you in on yourself and you become kind of a navel gazer. Well, pain does this to us. It turns us in on ourselves. And I can I when I if I've hit my my hand with a hammer, I'm not really caring that much about the emotional problems or challenges of people near me. I'm, I'm hop up and down and hold my hand. That's, but pain, it does. It focuses us all in. And so we forget to look up in our pain. And part of rejoicing is that constant looking up in our pain. Paul, when, when, Job, when Job is going through uh, his trials and God comes along to him, and what effectively God does to Job after Job has finished complaining that God's been unjust... He goes to and he goes over to Job, and effectively what he does is he puts a car jack under under Job's chin, and he goes and forces his chin up because what Job has been doing has gotten his face turned down in his circumstances, and he cannot consider the greatness and the glory and the beauty and the wonder of, of God Himself, and so God says, "Stop looking at all this and look at me." So he lifts his chin up and says, now, focus on me. He could say that he's bringing you into his everlasting kingdom, so look up. Or it could be that the Lord is near. He's imminent. He's present. We don't have a high priest who cannot identify with our pain and our suffering, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
He's at hand. Though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Can you rejoice in the Lord in the midst of these circumstances? You're not rejoicing in the injustice, the pain or the unfairness, or the sin surrounding maybe the causes of it, or just the misery of it. You're rejoicing in the Lord. The second command is do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a command to the Christian. John 15, Jesus in the upper room, he's reminding his disciples that he is the vine, they're the branches, and that they're in, in union with him. And his desire that his joy be in them and that their joy be full. He wants us to have joy, lasting joy. To know that the Lord will provide. If you ever gone without a meal for any length of time, if you ever suffered anything significant, maybe you have, but the reality is that he gives us everything that we need. Everything that we need. And so part of not being anxious is don't worry about the things over which you have no control. There are things, to be fair, there are things over which you do have control. Your decisions, your responses to things in many ways. But the things you cannot control. Leave them to Him. Leave those things to Him. We're anxious about the past, the future, our health. Usually depression is past-focused, things we, have, we can't change that we wish had gone wrong. Anxiety is usually future-focused. Don't be anxious about things over which you have no control over which he's, or, or over which He's made no promise. He's made no promise for health. No promise for riches. No promise for constantly happy circumstances. He's made no promise for a healthy economy. No promise that war and strife will come to our land here. He's made no promise that you won't be hurt or betrayed, nor that you won't hurt or betray others. But what does He promise? He promises, I, I will be with you. I will be there with you. I will never forsake you or abandon you. I will give you all that you need to get through it so that you can make it out the other side glorifying Christ. I don't know how many of you... Now, there's, there's many different causes for anxiety, and I certainly don't want to, to minimize the, the, the chemical and the physiological and all the issues for anxiety and, uh, and, and for getting the care that is helpful to deal with those things. Uh, Often, though, uh, much of anxiety is um, is because, as I mentioned, we are um, we're meditators. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever had um, how many of you have ever had one way conversations. When I say one way conversation, I mean a conversation with somebody who's not there. Okay, where where they where you wanted to respond to them either after the fact. Because it, you can't ever quite come up with a snappy thing right at the moment. 
um, you or you're preparing for a conversation that you might have with them, so you want to make sure you cover all the bases and you're going to win that conversation every single time. And you're going to try different versions of it and man, make sure you, you craft your answer. And so you have, and sometimes you find you're actually yourself getting angry with the other person because they're, they're responding back to you in ways that are not nice. Now, the poor person's not even there, but you're angry with them. Or you lie in bed at night staring at the ceiling about something that's going on and you keep spinning it. And you are, you're like that hamster. You're like, it's just spinning, 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 spinning. You can't get off the wheel. Or you're, like the, or you're like the cat sitting there staring down at it and it's the same problem. The same problem is running around in front of you and you cannot take your eyes off of it because you and I, we are meditating people. We meditate all the time. The question is, what is it that we're going to meditate on? What is it that's going to fill our hearts and minds? He goes on there to speak on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Is that list there true, honorable, just, pure, lovely? I love that word. I think lovely is a better word than beautiful. To me, when I talk, when I say someone is lovely, I, I feel like I've gotten down somewhere deeper than just their outside, but into who they are as a person. Lovely. It's just, it's, it's lovely. It's whatever's commendable. Another way, another way, actually, he just repeated himself later. Commendable is praiseworthy. Something you could say something good about. If it's excellent, think. Think on these things. Ponder these things. Consider these things. The, the scripture uses the term consider many, many times. And every time, almost every time that I could think of is it's always look at it, think about it, and act on it. Lord, consider my, consider my plight. Consider my situation, Lord. You're asking God to observe it, know it, recognize it, and then do something about it. Think on these things. Consider these things. So now, is that where your mind goes when you are cut off in traffic? Or when that car pulls up next to you that has a muffler and music that's so loud it shakes your car and you can barely think? Now, the reason I bring that one is up because that happened to me multiple times this last week and I, I was gritting my teeth the whole time. I couldn't see straight. I wasn't going down the line of true, honorable, just, pure, lovely thoughts. There was a, we were about visiting a church not too long ago, and um, she introduced us to a Sunday school, uh, Lizzie, my wife Lizzie and me, to a, to a Sunday school class. And before she, in the introduction, she wanted to talk about our daughter Simi. Now, our daughter Simi was uh, most of you all know uh, about uh, twelve years ago uh, got uh, leukemia when she was six months old, and she passed six months later. All right, so so it was a trying time for us all, and uh, so Lizzie, she's recounting this woman's recounting this event that we were up there telling the story of what God had done and had appeared to be doing in and through the sickness and death of our daughter. Well, Lizzie was telling the story like this. And then it seemed like this happened. And then God did this. Oh, and then we heard from... So she's telling the story. Well, the, the poor lady was a mess. She was in tears over this. And she goes up to Lizzie afterward and she says to her, Lizzie... How is it you, you, if it's your child, how is it that you can talk about this with joy on your face and I'm a mess? 
And Lizzie responded, well, you see, it's because God has given me the grace to go through this and not you. When it's your time to go through whatever suffering God has for you, he will give you the grace to do that. But you're projecting what it would be like to go through it without the benefit of God's grace. Kathy Keller actually is the, is the one who, who tells this, gives this uh, answer to a group of singles who are afraid of getting married. And um, that, oh no, what if my marriage goes sideways? But this was the, this was the answer that she gave her. And this is the answer that we have actually have clung to in so many situations because the reality is we meditate in fear of what might happen in the future to our children, to our marriages, to our family, to our, to, our, to our retirement, to whatever it is, whatever it is you're afraid of, we, we look forward to the future and say, oh, what if? And that is a game that God does not play with us. He is not there with us in our future projection. He doesn't promise to be there with us in our future projection. He promises to be here with us right now. And he promises to be with us when we get there. But how terrifying to look into the future without the benefit of God's presence and grace. So don't do that. Stay here where our Savior is. And he'll walk with you the whole way. So we don't have to be afraid of all that. We have a liturgy. I mean, as mentioned, we're, we're meditating, meditating people. We have... We have a, a liturgy of life, and we, we repeat it over and over again. We have our liturgy in, in a worship service that we're reminded. We, we come in, we, it's a call, the invocation, the call to worship. We have the opportunity to, for confession, for, for a response to that, to, and then, and then uh, encouragement that he does forgive. We're reminded of, of forgiveness, but we need that process. It's a, it's a gospel. It's a gospel walk in a worship service, isn't it? Come, the Lord comes and meets us. We recognize our sin. We repent, pray forgiveness for our sins. We're forgiven of our sins. We hear the gospel preached to us. We're transformed and then we're sent out. Right? So this is this is a worship service. It's, it's, the, it's the gospel journey. And it's our liturgy. We need to be reminded of it, not just in our worship service, but in all of life. But we but we also, we have another liturgy that we lead on in life, don't we? We when we go to the mall. It, and we, we go down, you drive down, you know, if you're, if you're ever down a Harbison Way or whatever, and you drive by all the restaurants, all the stores, and these are things you need. These are the things that are valuable. This is what's important in life. You know, yes, I must have that. Oh, that's important. Okay. And, but we do, and it, and it is. It's like, a, it's like that knife that's being rubbed over our brains over and over again. This is what you need. This is the liturgy of life. We get it, we're reminded of it when we're out, when we watch television movies, when we're on the internet, when we're looking at the news, and we often tend to choose the liturgy that we like best. CNN versus Fox News. Okay. Sports team. Liberal versus conservative media. Whatever. Those are the things we choose and we meditate on. And we like being told this is bad. We meditate, it's going to be very, very bad. But what are we called to meditate on? Psalm 145 says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. When you think on those things, then your prayers will be more and more conformed to the will of the Father. It's, 
it's not more noble to pray, my will be done, as in claiming something. Lord, this is what I'm praying for, This, therefore you're kind of obligated to do it. No, even, even our Savior, even our Savior prayed, not my will be done. Here's a pattern. Dealing with anxiety. As you think, think and more on the pattern of what he's given us there in his word. Your prayer, uh, then this peace, as, you, as your prayers conform to the will of the Father, this peace that surpasses all understanding will stand guard around your hearts. Like an armed force stands around the city. And you'll feel the embrace of your Heavenly Father's arms around you. And you hear, peace, be still. In verse 7, you'll note that he says, the peace of God. And in verse 9, tells us, God of peace. The peace of God will be with you, and then you will have the God of peace. There, Thomas describes this. He says, it's the peace of God, the God of peace is... Is, is not like a commodity. It's not like an ATM machine. I do this or that and I get a bit of peace. It, it, it doesn't happen. I don't know if any of you have ever read this verse and you're under a great deal of anxiety and you think, all right, I'm going to think on these things. I'm going to give thanks. You're going, thank you for this. And you, and you walk through the formula and you open your eyes and you're still anxious. And you think, what am I doing wrong with this formula? Okay, Something is going wrong here. It's, it's, it's a trajectory of thinking. I take my fears and my woes to the Father and I hear Him say, trust me. Trust me because I love you. And I've loved you with an everlasting love. I talk with Him and I walk with Him and I pray to Him and I make make my needs and my wishes known. Don't be anxious about anything because you have in Jesus Christ the greatest assurance about the persistence of of God, the care of God, and the love of God that you could ever have. Is that is that cold comfort for you? Ever? Somebody comes up and says, Well, you know Jesus is with you. And you're like, Sometimes, if we're honest, we ask questions like, what good is the fact that God loves me and is with me when other kids are mean to me at school? When my marriage is failing? When my bills are piling up and I'm not sure how to make ends meet? When that boy or girl that I really, really like doesn't pay any attention to me? When I'm lying awake at night and I can't turn off that spinning wheel, and my anxiety levels continue to climb. There are two impossible commands, rejoicing always. This is where we're called to meditate. Because we ask the question, what good is it? It's of eternal good of infinite good. Even if in the moment I don't feel it, I have to trust the fact that right now, God, I don't feel it. You feel, you feel very abstract to me right now. 
in the midst of my suffering. But you promised me that you're here. You promised me that you're with me. And I'm trusting you for that. And I'm going to keep... My temptation is to keep focusing on the things that feel real to me. So much so that they that you become less and less real. And no, Lord, I don't want that. I'm, I'm going to focus on the things you called me to focus on because you're real. There's a, a hymn by Cooper, by William Cooper. Um, I believe it's, it's in his hymns of... Um, it's in his only hymns. It's, it's Lord Will Provide. It's, I think he entitled it Jeho- Jehovah Jireh, but... And uh, basically it goes, there's many verses, I'm going to read a few of them. Though troubles assail and dangers affright, though friends all should all fail and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide, the scripture assures us, the Lord will provide. We may like the ships by tempest be tossed on perilous deeps, but cannot be lost. Though Satan enrages, the wind and the tide, the promise engages. The Lord will provide. And when Satan appears to stop up our path and fill us with fears, oh, he does this. We triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though oft he has tried this heart-cheering promise. The Lord will provide. He tells us we're weak. Our hope is in vain. The good that we seek will never shall obtain. But when such suggestions our spirits have plied, the answers, this answers all questions. The Lord will provide. Final verse. When life sinks apace and death is in view, this word of his grace shall comfort us through. No fearing or doubting with Christ on our side We hope to die shouting. The Lord will provide. So dear people, rejoice in Him. Meditate on that which is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, of those things which are commendable and worthy of praise. And don't be anxious, knowing that He'll be standing guard around your hearts, and around your minds. For the Lord is at hand. Amen. Let's stand together then and sing hymn number 629. What a friend we have in Jesus.
these gifts and these offerings that, uh, that we bring out of act of obedience, out of act of thanksgiving, and out of act of worship. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these gifts and these offerings, use them for your glory here in this church and uh, both and around the world for the sake of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, we have been together and worshipped. We have praised our Savior. We have heard His Word. 
And now we have the opportunity to go out refreshed, go out strengthened, to serve our Savior, and to live the life that He's called us to live. And so the benediction today is from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Thank you.